The following podcast is a Simpronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And I'm so excited to introduce to you Anshul Gupta, who is a doctor. And what I love about him is that he was a traditional doctor. He's now moved over into the functional medical field. And our title today is Why Are You Not Able to Lose Weight with Hashimoto's? So Dr. Gupta, welcome. Tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me to the show. You know, it's a pleasure. Well, let's talk about Hashimoto's for just a second, because we know that weight gain is the number one complaint of Hashimoto's patients. And most often, even after trying different things, you know, they might get on thyroid medicine and they are still saying, you know, yeah, I'm still taking thyroid medicine, but I'm not getting better. I'm still not able to lose the weight. Tell us a little bit about your background of how you transitioned from being kind of a more traditional doctor into functional medicine, and what can these people do to kind of get that weight off? Absolutely. You know, that's my passion and that's what I'm going to talk about today uh, to uh, kind of know my background. So I am a traditional uh, family medicine MD. So that's what I trained as a family medicine MD. Um, I practiced for more than five years as a traditional doctor, taking care of like kids and adults and like, you know, females. I was seeing several thyroid patients. But then, you know, I later on, uh, uh, my health issues started coming up. So then I transitioned into uh, functional medicine MD. So I trained with Institute of Functional Medicine, got my certification done. I also did a fellowship training with the Academy of Integrative Medicine. Uh, so I did fellowship training with them. I also did uh, peptide certification with A4M. So that's what I have been doing. And then after that, I joined a Cleveland Clinic Functional Medicine Department. And I worked alongside Dr. Mark Hyman, with, uh, which a lot of people kind of call him as a father of functional medicine because he introduced us all to the functional medicine. So I worked alongside with him. And uh, actually, it was at the functional medicine department in the Cleveland Clinic where I found my passion to help Hashimoto's patients. So that's what now I do. My goal is to help at least 1 million people with Hashimoto's to regain their life back, to help them to lose weight sustainably, to clear their brain fog and end their fatigue. So I developed a three-step program uh, to uh, help these Hashimoto's patients. That's awesome. And just so you know, I am a Hashimoto's patient and oh. I I feel like I know so much about thyroid because I've done, first of all, I've had so many guests on the show. And on top of that, I've done so much homework on my own. Mm -hmm. I went to go see an endocrinologist and literally schooled her on so much stuff. I was like, no, absolutely not. That was, that's incorrect. Let me show you. And she was like, she was like, wow, you know more about thyroid than I do. And I was like, mm, yes, actually I do. <laughs> it was absolutely. pretty sad. Um, yeah. And so for me personally, you know, my thyroid is so much better than it was. It was funny. I actually just got my hair done today and my hairdresser <laughs> was like, your hair is so thick, Chantal. And I was like, well, thank you so much. Because at one point my thyroid was so bad 
my hair was literally falling out by the clumps um, because it was so terrible. So I'm going to ask you some specific questions. uh, But before I do, what would you say the people who are coming to you, let's say, let's say they are on thyroid medicine currently. Um, They've Mm. looked at their numbers, but they still are tired. They're still having weight gain. Kind of give me like the top things that would be going on in someone like kind of first you look at this, this might be an issue. This might be an issue. What would you say are those top reasons? Absolutely. So what what I figured out through my research at the Cleveland Clinic was that we were looking at Hashimoto's in a totally wrong way. We always think that Hashimoto's is all about just deficiency of thyroid hormone and just giving them levothyroxine will fix it. But that is not the reality, right? You know, taking all the levothyroxine medicine, people still continue to suffer with symptoms. So what I figured out was that, you know, there was an underlying reason in Hashimoto's patients, which is not letting them to feel better. And that was a disconnection between mitochondria and thyroid. And that's what I call as a mitothyroid connection, which is broken in Hashimoto's patients. Now, the top reasons which I feel this connection is broken in, you know, like uh, Hashimoto's patients is, first of all, toxins is a very, very important reason. We are living in a, uh, in a current world, which we are surrounded with toxins all the time, whether it is mold toxins, whether it is environmental toxins or heavy metals. So almost all of my Hashimoto's patients will have some of the other toxins. The second reason is infections. Several viral infections, you know, have been associated with Hashimoto's, especially Epstein-Barr virus infection, which we call as mono-infection, you know, in the common language. Then parasites, you know, parasites in our gut can lead to these things. And then other chronic infections like Lyme disease, you know, and Bartolena and Babesia, all of those can lead to that. So that's the second reason that, you know, which is going on in Hashimoto's patients. And the third reason is uh, food sensitivities. You know, we have more and more patients who have food sensitivities going on and they keep on eating those foods and that ultimately leads to destruction of the thyroid gland. So I will say those are my top three things that I will say is going on in Hashimoto's patients, which kind of needs to be addressed for them to feel better. All right. So let's start with the the food sensitivities first. So I know, I, I love your website, by the way, and and that's anshulguptamd.com. We'll put that in the show notes, but you talk about the five foods that are kind of, I think I was actually six. Was there six foods on there that you said, hey, these are kind of the big zingers of why, you know, your thyroid, these are the food sensitivities you might be having. So tell us what those six are. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, food sensitivities are a big issue now these days. So first of all, you know, why is that now we have more food sensitivity as compared to, you know, like a decade ago? So the reason what is happening, our food is changing at a very, very rapid rate, right? You know, all these GMO foods coming in and even if we do not have GMO, the modern agriculture has caused our food to change. So the genetic makeup of food, which was 100 years ago, is totally different than what it is now. And our body cannot keep up with it. You know, our body changes, but it takes millions of years for our body to change, while a food in only 100 years has changed. So that's the reason we are seeing more and more food sensitivities, because this food is literally like an alien to us now. So that's the difference. 
So the top food, you know, which I have seen with Hashimoto's patients, which is a problem, gluten is the number one. Second is dairy. Uh, third thing is soy. Uh, fourth thing, you know, I see is corn. Uh, the fifth thing I see is processed meat or processed food. And the sixth thing is sugar. So those are the top six foods, you know, which most of the people with Hashimoto's will have trouble with. Mm. Now, not all of the foods might be a problem with for everybody, but I will say majority of the Hashimoto's patients will at least have more than two of these, two or three of these foods, which their body dislikes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's what I've found is funny. Those are all an issue for me. The one food that is weird, I kind of go back and forth on is dairy. So mm -hmm. meaning sometimes I have dairy and it actually makes me feel better. It's like very strange. And I think it depends on the kind of dairy that I'm having. And so if I have certain types of dairy, like if I'm having like an organic uh, yogurt, like a, a Greek yogurt, I butter, I could eat butter all day long. It doesn't affect me at all. I could load vegetables up with butter and I feel like a million bucks. But mm -hmm. there are certain dairies, believe it or not, that I don't feel good on. And then there's some that I actually feel better for some reason. Um, and it's, I think it's yogurt for some reason, like some Greek yogurts and stuff like that. I don't know what's going on with that, but somehow um, I don't, I don't feel bad with them. Yeah, so it all depends, right? You know, first of all, you know, the major problem with dairy is that, you know, the modern day dairy farming is just, you know, uh, you know, doesn't treat the animals in a right way, right? So the dairy products from them is definitely inflammatory. So when my patients or my clients are doing dairy, I make sure that it is organic, then it is pasture raised. And, for, and the second of all, I always ask them to go to these like local dairy farms, you know, where they know how they are treating their livestock. So that's the most important thing. So it might be possible that, you know, when you are consuming dairy, you are definitely getting it from a better quality source. So then the inflammatory, you know, situation with them is less. And, you know, and second of all, you know, yogurts, especially Greek yogurts has a high amount of protein and a lot of probiotics. So that also there is the reason that maybe your gut just likes them. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about mitochondria for just a second. You mentioned it, but for those who have not heard um, what mitochondria is, I want you to kind of tell it to us in a, in a very easy way. So like for me, I know that they're an important part of our cells because they, they take food and make energy that the rest of the cell can use, correct? So yes, you, you are correct that mitochondria are, you know, our energy producer, mitochondria in just one line where it says that mitochondria is a powerhouse and that's the way we discovered mitochondria when we were trying to figure out how do we produce energy and we came to know about mitochondria but the interesting part is that the new research shows that mitochondria does much more than just producing energy now they are involved in aging process now we know that they also play an important role especially in immune dysfunctions like autoimmune diseases in Hashimoto's so that's where, you know, interesting part is that in a lot of research and a lot of things are coming up, you know, where people are talking about, oh, you know, to improve aging, we need to focus on mitochondria. And then in autoimmune diseases like MS, we are talking about mitochondria. But in thyroid, especially Hashimoto's, we are not talking about mitochondria. So that's where, you know, like I want to focus on. So there is a connection between thyroid and mitochondria. 
and we already know about that you know for a long long time but we think that you know like the connection between thyroid and mitochondria functions very well and the only reason that you know this connection is broken is that when we have low thyroid hormone and that's what exactly we thought was going on in hashimotos but that was absolutely wrong because even after giving thyroid hormone the mitochondria function doesn't get better so what's the connection between thyroid and mitochondria so in simple terms thyroid is your gas pedal in the car and mitochondria is your engine so unless you know the gas pedal and engine both are in good shape you know your body is not going to function well and in hashimotos patients this connection is broken so the gas pedal is doing its own thing and engine is doing its own thing and that's where people have trouble so that's where people are not able to lose weight you know they continue to have brain fog issues and they feel fatigued because you know oh, this connection is not working yeah so let's talk about parasites for just a second and then after that we'll talk about candida and fungus kind of invading someone's gut when it comes to parasites one of the things that is crazy is i've seen so i went to my regular doctor because i one of the things for me is that my iron and my ferritin were extremely low so when i go get my blood work done now i eat like ground beef, literally, because my iron is so low and I have such problems with my iron, I eat ground beef probably or some kind of steak about five days out of the week, like a good portion of 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 meat because that's how I feel better because I need that iron and so forth. But still, if you look on my blood work, my blood work shows that my ferritin levels are low my iron levels are low. And so I thought, well, I probably have parasites because the parasites are probably eating the iron and that's why my iron is so low. So I went to a regular internal doctor and they said that they literally had me put in about maybe a quarter of a toothpick amount of poop in a little vial and send it in. I mean, it was it, ridiculous how little amount of, of poop that they wanted. And I was thinking to myself, how are these people ever going to see parasites? I mean, I'm not putting in very much poop in the vial. And so they did it and they said, no, you don't have any parasites. Then I did another test um, where I had to take like you know, I took a lot, you know, it's kind of from a functional medicine place and I took in a lot and they, they said that I had mold in my gut, but I'm still convinced that I have parasites because there's no other explanation of why my iron levels are so low. So my, my iodine levels are low and my ferritin and iron levels are low. So can you talk about that for a bit and how, what kind of testing do you do to see if you, that, that you are as accurate to see if you do have parasites? Yeah. So that is definitely a big red flag when your iron levels are low, then in those cases, I will definitely order, you know, functional medicine stool uh, testing kit. And I will, do, I will do three samples, you know, three samples on three consecutive days instead of just one sample. Mm, gotcha. 
Okay. So now let's talk about candida and fungus in the gut, because that can also be an issue for people still having a problem with Hashimoto's. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So candida is a big issue, you know, which lives in the gut, you know, of several Hashimoto's patients. Now the candida, you know, is an inflammatory fungus, you know, it causes a lot of inflammation, which ultimately can lead to autoimmune issues. And that's what Hashimoto's is all about. So, you know, there was actually a research study where they actually looked for like, you know, whether candida can cause autoimmune issues. And what they figured out was that the DNA or the molecular structure of candida was kind of similar to some of the organs of our body. And thyroid was one of those. So, you know, like in autoimmune disease, there is a mechanism which is called molecular mimicry. Okay, what happens in that is that, you know, like when we have something uh, which is external to our body, that can be like a pathogen like candida, or it can be something like food. When we ingest those, our body thinks, you know, like body wants to get rid of them. So they start producing antibodies. Now these candida, when they have similar molecular pattern, as, as similar to as a thyroid, these antibodies actually start hurting our own thyroid. So that's the reason people start, you know, developing Hashimoto's. So that's an important factor, you know, that we need to look for candidal overgrowth um, in Hashimoto's patients. And if that is present, then definitely treating it will definitely improve the Hashimoto's antibodies and also improve the inflammatory markers. So let's talk about Epstein-Barr virus, also known as human herpes virus 4. And it is a member of the herpes virus family. Um, but, you know, when we think about Epstein-Barr, a lot of people also say, okay, well, that's mono. It can cause mono. Um, so let's talk about why Epstein-Barr is so prevalent and kind of some of the symptoms people can feel and what are you doing to test for that? Yeah. So Epstein-Barr virus is a very, very common virus, right? You know, almost 90 plus percent of population will get exposed to it in their lifetime. It's like common cold, right? You cannot do anything, right? In your lifetime, you are going to get exposed to it. Doesn't matter whatever you do. Most of the time it happens in teenagers that, you know, we get exposed to it, you know, and in a, when you first get Epstein-Barr virus infection, it presents it like, you know, can be just a minor viral illness. You get a little bit of fever, you feel a little bit, you know, fatigued, you have a little bit of, you know, body pains. And sometimes, you know, you might have lymph nodes which are enlarged, right? Most of the time it's a self-limiting condition, you know, people will get over it. But what people do not know is that once you get Epstein-Barr virus infection, it stays in your body forever, okay? And then what we now know is that, you know, the research actually has proven that people who have Epstein-Barr virus infection has more chances of getting Hashimoto's disease later on in their life. So it doesn't necessarily have to start then and there when you got the Epstein-Barr virus infection, it is later on in the life. So then they start looking, why is that the reason? So what they figured out was that, that it, the Epstein-Barr virus can get reactivated in your body and that's reactivation causes that Hashimoto's disease. So what happens is that, you know, like when I talk about reactivation, people go to their regular doctors and talk about checking for Epstein-Barr virus and they get a test, but that test only checks for acute infections. It doesn't check for reactivation. 
So you need to get a complete panel, which do not, which not only checks for like acute infection, but also checks for long-term antibodies and also nuclear antigen antibodies to make sure that you know that you have a reactivation or not. So I know I took a blood test and it said that I had recently in the comments, it said something like recently healed from Epstein-Barr or something that it was like detected, but that it wasn't active, something like that, that it said on my lab work. And I will tell you the, the number one thing that has helped me and I've have told people about it to a bunch of people that have said that they've had Epstein-Barr is a, some, a supplement called Epicor, E-P-I-C-O-R. Have you heard of it? Yep, I have heard of it. You know, I think that's a very nice supplement. It helps a lot of times, you know, with several of my clients. Um, and you're absolutely correct that, you know, taking it can be so, so helpful. Um, I have used it in numerous of my patients. Yeah, I have it on, if you guys go to my website and go to ChantelRayway.com and click on things I love, I'll sh- there's a specific one that I have on there that I really recommend. So make sure you go to that link, go to things I love and things I love too. And you can see the link and order it right there on Amazon. But um, so what are some of the things that you're seeing? Let's talk about solutions because I think people get annoyed when they're like, yes, they're probably listening to this podcast. They're like, yes, I have that. Yes, that's me. Yes, that's me. Yes, that's me. But we bring the problem, but we don't bring the solution. So let's talk about some of the biggest solutions that you've seen that are very practical that you can help people with. Absolutely. So now, that's where my three-step program kind of comes into place, okay? So in the three steps, first of all, we identify the problem, right? You know, so we need to look for all the root causes which are causing destruction to this mitothyroid connection. So that's where, you know, we look at toxins, we look at infections, we look at food sensitivities, you know, we, lo- we look at like stress and trauma uh, and also nutritional insufficiencies. So first, we need to kind of get a complete picture of what we are dealing with. You know, uh, so that's the first step. Now, the second step is where we start, you know, rejuvenating or regenerating uh, this mitothyroid connection. So for that, you know, what I have developed is that, you know, I developed this mitothyroid diet. Now, the interesting part is that, you know, all the research that I've done, we have all different kinds of diet for different kinds of, you know, medical issues, whether it is MS, whether it is an autoimmune diet, whether it is, you know, paleo diet but we do not have any diet for thyroid patients or Hashimoto's patients. There has been no diet which has been propagated especially for them. So that's what I figured out is that first we need to remove food in this diet which is hurting your thyroid. Then we need to introduce food which helps your thyroid to function better as well as helps to regenerate your mitochondria. So that's the cornerstone of this mitothyroid diet you know, that we do. Along this diet, we add intermittent fasting you know, which is so popular, works great for a lot of my clients. And then we also add some supplements to support, you know, your thyroid as well as mitochondria so that, you know, this whole process works good for them. 
So let's talk about those supplements. Um, do you have some of those supplements on your website? And what are some of the main vitamins that you see that people are missing that kind of cause? Well, well, first, before you even, well, I want you to answer that, but I also want you to make sure that you address iodine because I feel like I've heard different people talk about iodine and that people are in two camps. People say, you know, if you, you're low in iodine, you know, you shouldn't have too much iodine if you have health issues. And if you have iodine, it's better for you. So first of all, which camp are you in on that as well? So, you know, like being, you know, an academic person, I always like to kind of follow the research, right, you know, in that purposes. So I'm definitely more on the conservative side. So what I believe is that, first of all, checking iodine levels is is a good step. And if your iodine levels are low, then definitely we need to be, you know, we need to replace it. But if the iodine levels are on the high side, then I'm not, you know, in favor of giving iodine supplements. But I favor foods which are high on iodine. So that's what I recommend to all of my clients when their iodine levels are like on the upper normal limit of the blood levels and they still have Hashimoto's or thyroid. Then I say that, you know, I don't think a supplement is a good idea for you, but definitely push a lot of foods which are high in iodine. And that generally works good for them. Hey guys, one of the things that will take your weight loss to the next level is coaching. You can either work one-on-one with me or one of our certified private coaches. If you'd like, you can schedule your free call. It's a 10-minute strategy call just to see if coaching is going to really take you to the next level. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to this recent review a happy coaching client sent in. Thanks so much for your help and guidance. I never could have done it without you. The other thing is listening to the audiobook. Listening to the audiobook and getting the video course that I've done, people are seeing dramatic results. If you just listen to the audiobook 30 minutes a day, over and over and over again, and get the video course, go to ChantelRayway.com and check out the video course. You won't be sorry you did. Gotcha. Now, what supplements have you seen that really kind of work well? Do you have some on your site or do you have kind of some go-tos that really help make the thyroid work well? Yeah, so some of the supplements which kind of help with thyroid and this kind of, you know, um, uh, so some of the supplements, you know, which I think, you know, are helpful uh, for this thyroid and mitothyroid connection. First of all, B vitamins, you know, B for boy, like B vitamins are very, very important. You know, uh, these help not only your thyroid gland, but also helps with functioning of mitochondria. In that, folate and B12 and B6 are the most important ones. Okay, so that's what I push for. Then magnesium is an important mineral, which again helps with your thyroid gland, plus plus also rejuvenates your mitochondria. Then there are some mitochondrial supplements. The main important ones is coenzyme Q10 or CoQ10 and the alpha lipoic acid and then L-carnitine. Okay, a mixture of all these things. You know, most of the time they are in they are used in combination and that works great uh, for mitochondrial health. And then for thyroid, I also use zinc and selenium because those are also very important supplement which helps with functioning of your thyroid. 
so most of the time these supplements are available like in combination products so that way you know like it sounds a lot but you only have to take three or four you know different pills and that will give you all of these things Awesome. Well, let's talk about adrenal fatigue for just a second, because that's a big word on everyone right now. And obviously the adrenal glands are kind of like your de-stress glands. They help you to de-stress, but everybody right now seems to be on more stress than they ever. And your adrenal glands are kind of associated with your body's ability to respond to stress. And so someone might say, well, you know, do I have adrenal dysfunction or do I have thyroid dysfunction or is, is the adrenal dysfunction causing the thyroid dysfunction? So how do you differentiate the two of them and know, is it overlapping or is it one or the other? So there is a strong connection between thyroid and adrenal gland. You know, your thyroid hormone affects your adrenal function and your adrenal hormone, which is your cortisol, also affects your thyroid hormone. So it's a two-way connection. So most of the time, if you do have a thyroid disorder, there's a high likelihood that you might have some degree of adrenal dysfunction going on. Okay, But unfortunately, the symptoms of adrenal dysfunction and thyroid dysfunction often overlap. Right. You know, often people with adrenal dysfunction will have fatigue. They will have brain fog. They will not lose weight. Right. So that's very overlapping. So few ways, you know, that you can differentiate between an adrenal dysfunction and a thyroid dysfunction is, first of all, some sign. There are some signs and symptoms, you know, that you can see. So the major signs for adrenal dysfunction is that most of the time the, the weight gain will be around your waist. Okay, so when you know when people will say well, I'm not losing inches, you know, like because I have this weight around this my waist, which is just not going away, that points towards adrenal dysfunction. Second of all, if you have fragile skin, like as soon as you know, like you have a small scratch, that you know starts skin starts bleeding, you know that's another sign of adrenal dysfunction. Uh, then you know if you are always fatigued, you know that is again a sign of adrenal dysfunction that you will see. So that's the kind of, you know, symptoms that you can differentiate, you know, with adrenal and thyroid. But the other better way is actually do testing. So you can check your cortisol levels, easy test. You know, you can check your cortisol levels in saliva and that can actually tell you where your levels are and how much cortisol levels you are putting out. The important aspect is that you have to check those levels multiple times in a day. If you're just checking your cortisol levels in the morning, it is not going to give you the complete picture. So easy test, just check your saliva for cortisol levels that will give you exactly whether you have adrenal dysfunction going or not. Now let's talk about any different uh, supplements for people with adrenal dysfunction. Like, is there anything in specific? Like I know ashwagandha is really good for adrenal dysfunction. Anything that you've seen that really does well for adrenal issues? So I think, you know, as you mentioned, ashwagandha, that definitely works great. So these are the, uh, these are category of herbs, which are called adaptogenic herbs. So they help a lot, you know, with adrenal dysfunction, you know, ashwagandha being kind of top on the list. Then after that, you know, we have ginseng, then we have rhodiola. Uh, those three are top of my list. You know, if you are suffering from chronic fatigue issues, you know, if you take a combination of these three, these three, Rhodiola, ginseng, and ashwagandha, it just works great. You are going to feel a different year difference. Mm. 
So let's say someone is really struggling with brain fog. Let's just say they just feel like they, you know, they have difficulty in focusing, they're forgetful, they're kind of feeling cloudy, you know, they just always feel like they're kind of feeling confused or in a fog. Um, what would you say to them? So I will say that, you know, that's a biggest indication that your mitochondria is not happy. So the brain fog ultimately, you know, when they get older can lead to dementia, can lead to Alzheimer's and things. So first of all, they need to act now. So that is very, very important. Um, and then in, in that acting process, what needs to be done is that they need to make a comprehensive plan to address all the things that can help their mitochondria to regenerate so that the brain fog can get better. And the good news is that the brain fog does get better. You know, I can I cannot tell you numerous patients that, you know, came with brain fog and which were like young in their 30s and 40s. And after being on the protocol with me, uh, their life just changed. So then we need to obviously address the diet. You know, that is the important aspect. So we definitely need to address the diet, which is the important aspect where we need to kind of reduce or remove the food which causes inflammation. We need to introduce a food which heals your brain. You know, it's like spices like ginger and turmeric, you know, and good, you know, like omega-3 fatty acids. Those are all wonderful for your brain. And then we need to get you on some supplements to heal your brain. And then the brain fog definitely gets better. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you I'm offering a free weight loss virtual Bible study. Now is the perfect time to focus on understanding true hunger and fullness and learn what the Bible has to say about it. All you have to do is go to ChantelRayWay.com slash Bible study. After you sign up, you'll receive a six week Bible study video that you can watch on your own or you can get a small group of people and do it together. That's ChantelRayWay.com slash Bible study for your free six week Bible study course. Yeah, and I think you nailed it with the magnesium because magnesium is a really vital nutrient that supports your mitochondrial health. And then if you don't have enough magnesium, you will then be constipated, which then you have severe constipation causes massive amounts of thyroid issues. Um, you know, it's funny because I started taking, you've heard of the calm, you've heard of CAM. So I started taking the calm gummies just because like when I want something sweet, like after I eat, instead of having something else, I'll just have a couple of those gummies. And that has really helped because I don't really love the taste of the, the, the powder um, of the powder. But like, if I want something sweet after I eat, I'm like, this is perfect. I'm getting my magnesium. So talk about the different types of magnesium and what is, there's so many different types of magnesium, but what is the right magnesium that is going to be the best for mitochondrial purposes and brain fog purposes? Yeah. So as you said, there are different kinds of magnesium and depends on what is your main issue. You know, I then recommend it. So if people who have constipation issues then magnesium citrate works great because that helps with your regular bowel movements and then keeps your gut happy as well as, you know, uh, keeps your mitochondria happy. But there is another magnesium called magnesium threonate. So that has actually shown in research to work better for people who have brain fog issues or who have neurological disorders, you know, like again, dementia or, you know, who have MS issues or who have dementia issues. 
the magnesium threonate works much more better. It is better absorbed, uh, so it is systemically absorbed much better than the other kinds of magnesium, and it has shown that you know uh, they will definitely see a difference on that. Mm, awesome. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. Tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. Absolutely. So the best way to kind of find me is going on my website, which is anshulguptamd.com. You know, I have an active blog, so I keep writing about new research that has been coming up, uh, especially uh, for thyroid patients and Hashimoto's. Um, I am on social media, so you can follow me on Instagram. My handle again is over there is anshulguptamd. Uh, so follow me over there. You know, I do a lot of educational live events. You know, I also keep posting so that, you know, um, people get educated and they know that there is a life, you know, that they are missing out on. You know, Hashimoto's, you have terrible symptoms. And most of the females have been told that they have to live this life forever. But you know, I want to let you know that there's a life, you know, which is totally different. You know, you can get rid of brain fog, you can improve fatigue, and you can lose this weight. You know, and the good part is that this is a sustainable weight loss. Awesome. Well, this is great. And you still are seeing patients. Are you seeing patients via Zoom? Can anyone across the country come yes, see so you via Zoom? That's Correct. Yes. So, you know, because of the COVID situation right now, we have this virtual practice. So anybody across the country can, you know, get consultation with me. I'm working on uh, through uh, actually right now I'm working on one to one consultations with all of my clients. So they have they have direct access to me all the time that way. That's awesome. Well, Dr. Gupta, it's been our pleasure to have you. And if you guys have a question, remember, go to questions at ChantalRayway.com and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye for now. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being on the show. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.